Introducing the new era of digital identity with SoCure, the leading provider of digital identity verification solutions. The world is shifting to digital services. More and more people are expecting everyday transactions and government services to be readily available online. But this shift has also created new opportunities for fraudsters and identity thieves, which can put individuals and organizations at risk. That's why SoCure has developed a suite of cutting-edge digital identity verification solutions that can help prevent fraud while also ensuring equitable access for all demographics. SoCure leverages machine learning, AI, and biometric capture to provide fast and accurate verification, even for those without traditional forms of identification. Whether you're a government agency looking to modernize your identity verification processes or a business looking to protect your customers and prevent fraud, SoCure has the expertise and technology to help. Join the digital identity revolution with SoCure and help build a more secure, efficient, and equitable world. Visit SoCure.com to learn more. That's S-O-C-U-R-E.com. You're listening to the Government Huddle Podcast, brought to you by GMarkU. Each episode features a unique discussion led by public sector executive and global government thought leader, Brian Chittister. Experts in all things government from around the world join the show to share their stories and provide insight into the rapidly changing landscape that is the public sector. From digital transformation to workforce issues and even thoughts on policy, nothing is off limits. Come on, let's huddle up. Good government is one that achieves important outcomes at the lowest possible cost. My career, I've been, I've, I've invested a lot of time trying to educate agencies, federal leaders on the importance of setting clear long-term outcome-oriented goals because governments are frequently too satisfied with mediocre outputs you know how hard did they work how many hours did they put in how many regulations did they issue how many how much money did they spend it's really about our kids getting more educated are americans healthier safer and is our security assured welcome back to the government huddle podcast guys i'm your host brian chittister there is so much uncertainty happening in government right now, and I, for one, am always looking for insights into how to navigate these uncertain times. For today's episode, I've invited two very well-respected individuals in the government industry to help us do that. Both have worked in government at very high levels, worked with government from the industry side at high levels, and have now ventured out and created their own company, Gov Navigators. I'm talking about Robert Shea and Adam Hughes, two good partners of mine and even better friends. These two have collaborated for almost 20 years and in that time have worked to improve government program performance and enact and implement federal financial transparency initiatives, including creating the original version of usaspending.gov. Together, they transformed Grant Thornton's public sector brand into one of the best known and respected in government consulting, being named as one of the fastest moving brands in government by the Government Business Council. And between the two of them, they have four Fed 100 awards. And as you're listening, if Robert's voice is familiar to you, it's because he was the co-host of the award-winning podcast, Fedheads, which he conceived and produced with Adam while they were at Grant Thornton. I always have a good time with these guys. Robert and Adam, welcome to the Government Huddle. Thanks for joining me today. Brian, thanks for having us. It's exciting. Yeah, Absolutely. 
I mean, you guys have your own podcast, so I know you guys are are pros at this. So my job is either going to well, be significantly careful. well, it's going to be either either significantly easier, significantly harder today. So <laughs> we're going to find out at the end of the show which one. Um, but I'm curious. I mean, you guys started your company uh, a few months ago. What have you, or how did you guys meet? How did you guys come together? So that's probably worth another podcast. Um, <laughs> I was working in the White House Office of Management and Budget, driving performance improvement across agencies. Adam was working at some do-gooder not-for-profit, lobbing um, bombs at my work, and uh, I I I had the temerity to reach out and said, you know, what the hell? Why why are you criticizing me? <clears throat> and um, we had a good conversation about what what he liked and what he didn't like about our work. And I tweaked it in response. And I think that so shocked he him and his colleagues that we become we became fast friends. Yeah, and that yeah. that began a decades long collaboration, including building you know get, getting some laws passed, building some important transparency websites, and then we found ourselves working together at. Grant Thornton, um, trying to build their brand in the public sector, and um, and so enjoyed it that we've now gone on, gone out on our own. Um, a- Adam may have a completely different, more negative. I would say, is, is that how you remember it, Adam? It's a uh, <laughs> it's a fairly accurate uh, telling of how we met. It, the the place that I worked for when we met was called OMB Watch, so it was primarily focused on driving accountability and transparency in the regulatory and legislative processes of the government. And so OMB obviously uh, controls a great deal of those. Uh, but he, Robert is correct. I was fairly shocked. I think particularly when you look at, you work at a, a, a small nonprofit with small budgets, uh, your ability to drive change in something as big as the federal government is pretty limited. And ha- having Robert reach out uh, and also take you know, time to listen to the feedback and make changes. Um, that I thought that was fantastic. I feel like that that is right on brand, Robert. I mean, on your LinkedIn profile, right at the top, you describe yourself as an advocate for good government, and and that feels like it's right in there. I'm curious to know. I mean, in your opinion, what is what is good government? I, I'm thinking what we're seeing right now isn't isn't probably the best definition. Yeah. Um, so you know, good government is one that achieves important outcomes at the lowest possible cost. Um, my career, I've been, I've, I've invested a lot of time trying to educate agencies, federal leaders on the importance of setting clear long-term outcome-oriented goals because governments are frequently too satisfied with media- mediocre um uh, outputs, you know, how hard did they work? How many hours did they put in? How many regulations did they issue? How many, how much money did they spend? It's really about ha- our kids get more educated. Are Americans healthier, safer? Um, and, and is our security assured? Um, the, you're, you're right that at the big picture, despite, you know, major threats to our ongoing democracy, a lot of good is actually getting done. And in a, in a couple of weeks, there'll be a seminal event, uh, the uh, annual Service to America medals that the Partnership for Public Service puts on. 
they award half a dozen um, individual federal leaders or teams for their outstanding contributions to important outcomes. And it is an incredibly moving event. And some of what is celebrated would shock you. What, what the government and, and its managers and leaders accomplish on a regular basis are nothing short of astounding. So uh, I, I not only try to help agencies and leaders achieve those outcomes, but I think it's really important that when, when they achieve them, whether or not I had anything to do with it, they, we really celebrate them. Yeah. I mean, when I, what came to mind when you first started talking about good government, but also kind of what government has been focused on is a quote that talks about the, the worst thing isn't setting goals and not achieving them. The worst thing is setting really low goals and actually achieving them. Yeah. Um, so exactly. I'm, I'm curious to know, and, and Adam, we can start with you. Do you think maybe that's one of the challenges that we see in government where the bar, that the capability is much higher than maybe where sometimes they're setting the bar and they're actually achieving those lower bars, but they could do so much more instead of just doing governance around compliance, you could be really driving more change. I'm curious to get your thoughts. So that reminds me of a quote too, which I actually think it just came up in our podcast a couple of weeks ago from, from the Bush administration when Robert was there, the soft bigotry of low expectations, which is a fantastic phrase. Uh, I didn't really think it was used well in the context of education and the, what the Bush administration was driving for, but the, the intent behind it, which is that we should be setting lofty goals, uh, I think is a good one. My take on how that doesn't always come through in government, particularly the federal government, is people who work in programs and ag federal agencies are faced with all these overlapping and at times duplicative or contradictory requirements that they have to operate in, in order to move forward and meet those goals. And I think a lot of the time for career employees, it you get beaten down by that after year after year after year. And getting to a place where you can achieve any goal is difficult. And I think a lot of times they're, they're faced with, well, if I set a goal that's really not shooting for the moon, so to speak, uh, I know I'll be able to achieve it and then I won't get dinged on a performance review and, you know, maybe I'll get promoted. Um, what Robert was talking about, about upholding when government does amazing things is really important. But I also think ensuring that you're creating an environment where people can set high goals and still fail to meet them. I think that's also very important. That, th those are the times when leaders at agencies and elsewhere and in Congress in particular, because I think this happens in Congress a lot they really need to make sure that they're understanding why they didn't achieve a lofty goal and what are the next steps to keep moving towards it rather than saying government is horrible and it'll never achieve anything. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I've, I've referenced her book a few times um, on multiple shows after I interviewed Jen Palka um, in her book, Recoding America. And it's one of the- Copycat. Hi, <laughs> right? It's, it's, it's one of the one of the dichotomies that I find around government, right? You want to do a good job, but you also don't necessarily feel empowered to do the best job because you're you're told you have to do X. And what you're seeing is what we really need is Y, yep. but I have to do X if I'm going to get a satisfactory um, uh, performance review or get a promotion. So, so I'm going to work towards X just continuously. And that's sort of how we get off kilter is kind of how I see it. 
Yeah, I think that's I think that's spot on. And I uh, it, it in some agencies and some programs, and I think maybe more so in the last few years, you're getting places where leaders of those areas are saying, no, 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 I want you to come to me and say, we're focused on the wrong thing, or we need to pivot our strategy. Uh, I think there are places in government that do that. It's just not as universal as it should be. No, that makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm curious. I mean, how do you identify the people that are willing? I asked that same question to Jen, actually, and, and I can't remember her answer right off the top of my head, but um, I'm always interested to understand, especially from the outside looking in, I want to find somebody that wants to drive change. I want to see somebody who who sees why and says, forget about X, we're, we're going to do it right. How do you identify those types of people from your guys' experience being in government? Well, I think you've got tiers of, of types of people, right? You've got the people who are hiding and those are uh, easy to avoid. They're not, they're gonna, not going to step up and te- take chances. There's also the sort of the cream of the crop, the people who are um, obvious, uh, uh, leaning in. Um, but then I think there's a, there's a layer of folks who need to be tapped on the shoulder, um, told that they can take risks um, in order to uh, accomplish um, what they want to. And it's, it's, it's the job of a leader to, to really create the culture and nurture those folks so that you can really expand the kind of people who are going to lean in, take those chances, and then achieve, achieve those breakthrough improvements that we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, and I think I think we can all probably agree timing is everything. And I'm not sure the timing that we're in right now is probably where people are going to be less conservative and more risky. Um, and I, I mentioned at the top of the show, you guys you guys started your business earlier in the year. Um, you guys have taken off, have more customers than I'm sure uh, you could believe. But you're working with all these vendor customers. I'm curious to know what is some of the guidance you're providing them right now during kind of this uneasy period, right? We're in this 45 day continuing resolution um, where we're looking to to figure out what the budget looks like. People aren't sure what's going to happen, not sure what's going to happen going into 2024. We have an election cycle happening end of next year. I mean, it's it's not stable ground for all intents and purposes. What type of guidance are, are you providing to your vendors? Adam, we can start with you. Uh, yeah, well, it's 40, it's a 47 day CR. Sorry, uh, sorry. Not 45. No, that, no need to correct you, but just. Way to correct the, the host. No, right. but right. it's frustrating. Oh, okay, okay it, I guess we know now. My job got harder today. We, <laughs> we, we know now. <laughs> it, it, it was frustrating for me because it was widely misreported by, by many very good journalists. So I guess my first piece of advice is make sure you read the underlying document itself whether it's a contract, an RFP, <laughs> the CR, uh, making sure that you're going to source documents is important. I think I, I raise that only because of the CR. The, I think overall what we're telling clients is that, you know, this is part of being in the government contracting space. This is not an, uh, an anomaly. Uh, you need to be building in these types of disruptions and uncertainty into your strategies and uh, into your, your risk uh, how you're approaching risk in your business. Um, I guess that that's probably the first thing that that we've been telling folks. But I also think if you're in the public sector and the federal government, you, you should already know that. But kind of before you get in, mm-hmm. um, I think the 
Go ahead, Robert, if you got something. Yeah, no, well, I was just going to say I've, I've tended to recommend to our clients that they not focus on the minute-by-minute developments, especially up to a continuing resolution or the end of the fiscal year, um, because that's not going to get resolved until the very last minute. And boy, was that true this time. Um, uh, but following my own advice this last couple of days has been really, really hard <laughs> because you had this historic development in the House of Representatives and chaos is now uh, in charge. Um, nonetheless, I think it's still good guidance. If, if you've got a if you're getting paid to do a job for a client, the best thing you can do to assure your success going forward is to perform at or beyond expectations, and that will be rewarded. This will all get resolved over time, God willing. Um, so I think you know, focusing on your clients and delivering excellent customer service should be everybody's watchword. You guys have both worked at high levels of government. Um, Robert, I know you were at OMB. Uh, and Adam, I mean, you were, you were an advisor to the, the federal CIO for a little bit. What should we be expecting happening behind the scenes right now? Well, one of the things, I hope you don't cut out that dead silence because <laughs> I'm interested to hear what Adam says. <laughs> one of the things I was going to say related to the previous question too, is, you know, when there are first CRs, the, 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 in the big picture, we're moving spending money, contracts, progress on, on initiatives in the government. We're moving that out. It's For the most part, you're not going to see cancellations or drastic shifts. So keeping focused on what those big initiatives are, things in the president's management agenda, uh, anytime there's you know recent executive orders, there's been a number this year, particularly a, a bunch on cybersecurity too, those kind of large arcs in policy aren't going to be drastically changed by shut, a CR or a government shutdown. So making sure, as Robert was saying, focusing on clients and what their long-term bigger picture goals are, I think is a great way to try to get yourself away from this. Well, you know, the speaker said this today and, you know, Senator Schumer is not going to do that, right? That if you get sucked into that too much, that's going to distract you from, from giving good service to clients and government. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And- you know, I always I'm always pining for calmer seas in Washington, but I lived through the '95 shutdown. Um, we we had 9/11. Uh, uh, we I was in the building during the anthrax attack, um, and and you know since then, all all we've done we, we you you'll have. S- succession after succession of crisis. So as Adam said earlier, that's sort of the environment in which we're operating. And think we will emerge. If history is a guide, we will emerge from this. Um, and, and people just have to put their heads down. I think there is genuine confusion up on the Hill about who's going to be the next speaker. I don't know who would want the job because being able to navigate that with such a small minority um, putting up such strict demands um, is a very tough way to manage. So, but again, um, we'll get a new speaker and, and, and we'll eventually get a budget in place, either a f- full year appropriations or a, or a continuing resolution. 
Um, and there are, you know, I'm, I'm delighted that, that the negotiations that have taken place for the debt ceiling and then for the latest CR have, have produced pretty constructive outcomes. And hopefully we'll see that uh, uh, result you know, this fall. Yeah, I think it's interesting to see a Speaker of the House kind of get attacked by his party for reaching across party lines for support when I think the American people are looking for kind of a bipartisan approach to things. But it kind of tells you the climate that we're working in. How much do you think that climate really impacts the government technology space? When we're, I mean, as a private sector vendor myself, and we're looking to do business with the government, do you, do you feel like this really has direct ramifications kind of beyond the shutdown, um, kind of operating in this type of climate, Robert? Uh, you know, frankly, I don't. Uh, uh, only to the extent that we get an actual shutdown or an inability to get an appropriations done. The administration has incredibly ambitious um initiatives underway to transform the digital experience, the customer experience that citizens uh, are confronted with when they deal with the government. Um, There are more innovative funding sources for uh, uh, modernization than we've had in the past. And those are being implemented apace. So I don't see a real impact to that right now. And frankly, don't expect one. Uh, You know, the next election, the next presidential election may disrupt things. But I think at least for the next couple of years, um, I I think folks can expect to see sustained investment and focus on uh, improving technology to the extent that it helps the citizen interact with the government in the myriad ways it does. I think even even if there is a change in administration next year. I still think some of the larger technology initiatives and policies are not going to see big changes. I mean, you can look at that from the previous three administrations. A lot of the things that have been that GSA and OMB and others in the executive branch have done and in the cybersecurity space at DHS as well, there's there's very broad bipartisan agreement that some of those initiatives and changes that are underway and the improvements that government is currently making should continue. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I use the word, I think you both use the word innovation. I think part of the the catalyst for that innovation has been, and I brought this up with uh, with Maria Rode in my last episode, has been the councils that have been set up, the CIO council, CTO council, CDO council. I know, Adam, you were an advisor to the CIO council. How much have you seen those type of cross-agency collaboration initiatives really drive change? And another thing, as a, a private sector vendor, are these groups that I should be looking to engage and kind of communicate to? Uh, those are good questions. <clears throat> well, there's so many councils now. Yeah. I think everyone gets it. It's like you're on Oprah. Everyone gets a council. Um, and there there are ways that those those interagency organizations can help to drive change, but it's not a given. You, you have to have it set up in the right way. And I think you have to create an environment within the council to allow agencies to give feedback and allow OMB and the White House to make changes. Um, and they have to be willing to do that. So I, I think the councils are great. I know um, the the chief data officer council has done some pretty fantastic work developing both playbooks, but also policies that can be implemented across the government that have really 
change that community and that the role of a chief data officer in that organization within agencies. I, you know, I think the CIO council was, is one of the oldest ones. Um, so I think they are, it, it is a great opportunity for government to be able to move a little bit faster by having a feedback loop and an opportunity to brainstorm across uh, your colleagues at different agencies. Should you be engaging in them? <clears throat> they don't really like that. Uh, <laughs> they definitely don't want vendors to come in and be like, oh, I know how to do this and I need to speak to you at your next meeting. Like they're not going to allow you to come in and do that. Understanding the ones that are, uh, that have staff supporting them and who those staff are, that's a pretty good strategy and a good approach to trying to make sure from the outside, you're really, you have a good understanding of what challenges agencies are trying to tackle. And, you know, and that's kind of, that's, that's the secret sauce to, to when you're a contractor, when you're trying to support is really understanding what government is grappling with. So that's one opportunity to do it, but they're not going to put you in front of the, their next meeting. Well, I, I also think too, for me, some of the best advice I would give is advice that I get all the time is, Hey, you need to listen more. Right. And I think sure. they, these groups do a really good job of communicating to the private sector and, and to the industry on exactly what you said. I mean, when you when when you started talking about the CDO council, one of the things I was thinking about, I mean, Ted's done a great job of kind of creating an environment where they're, like you said, creating policies, creating a playbook, but also trying to communicate that out. So everybody operating within that that kind of theater understands what they're looking for, understands what their roadmap is and kind of what they're trying to create holistically yeah. within the federal government. And if you understand those parameters, I think it helps you better operate with them instead of at them, I, I guess is the best way to put it. I think it's also important, you know, to your point, uh, listening to them, understanding what their objectives are and helping them accomplish those goals. There's no objective in government that can't that can be accomplished in isolation by a single agency. So this interaction, this collaboration, cross-agency collaboration in these councils is critical. And so understanding what those groups are trying to accomplish together is really important. And then, you know, investing your efforts, your expertise, your capabilities in helping them is going to be not only good for government, but good for business too. It makes a lot of sense. So one question that I've been waiting to ask you guys, and I'm I'm gonna oh, pull the I'm gonna pull the shutdown out of it. Um, I, I mean, just with that comment, Robert, I'm coming to you first now. <laughs> um, so, again, taking the shutdown out of it, what's something in the federal market that has really surprised you lately? Well, as you know, as a new business owner, I am delighted that this community has rallied behind us. I know that sounds kind of obnoxious, but um, you know. Harry Truman's famous for saying in DC, if you want a friend, get a dog, but it is really a close knit community that rallies, uh, behind each other and behind the government. This is a group that really wants the government to succeed because if the government succeeds, they succeed. Um, and if both succeed, America succeeds. So uh, I think, you know, I, I've been pleasantly surprised by, um, the incredibly positive, loving atmosphere that you can have in what's perceived as a really tough town. I know that's pretty squishy, but and, and not really a, ma a macro uh, development, but but it's it's where I am right now. It's warming my heart, though. 
Good. Most Hope people don't know. Most people don't know Robert has a soft underbelly. <laughs> what about you, Adam? Uh, well, I would second that answer. I have been very surprised by that. And getting doing running this business, and you get a much more uh, intimate understanding of the of that community. I think, and Robert may have felt this more at Grant Thornton, but when I was at Grant Thornton, uh, we kind of had our what we needed to accomplish, and we focused, and we went out and did it. But the kind of networking between um, consulting firms and others who are working in the same space, I didn't get as much access to that. I'm getting that a lot now, and it's a great. Uh, backstop to be able to support other organizations and have to have people help support us. I, I think in the, in the government, I mean that when they canceled that air force contract two weeks ago, that shocked me. <laughs> um, they got over 250 uh, bids on a air force contract and they, they basically didn't do the work they needed to early on to avoid that type of situation. So they just had to, to cancel it. Um, it was sort of a major faux pas, but it was all, it, you know, they, this is the sort of thing that gets gov navigators out of bed in the morning is <laughs> talking about acquisition strategy and <laughs> when things go wrong. Um, so that surprised me. I mean, I think the fact and we sort of talked about this earlier, it's not shut down, but the, the a speaker of the house has never been removed in the history of the United States. So that, that was incredibly shocking. I was telling my daughter while the vote was happening, she had just gotten home from school and I said, you, you come watch this. Like this is his, a historic event is happening right now. Um, and when I told her a little bit about the background, about how a small number of people from the speaker's party decided that he wasn't doing a good enough job, she got real into it. She's wanted to know the gossip. She's like, tell me the tea. We got it. Is the tea <laughs> spilled? Like what's happening? <laughs> so um, I was, I was riveted by that, the, by the proceedings in that. And, and as we talked about earlier too, nobody knows what's going to happen next. So I think it's possible that we'll have another big shock too. Speaking, and I want, I want to get to that real quick, uh, some predictions that you guys might think shock, might shock us. But before we get to that, um, you talked about the tea spilling and, and providing the tea. You guys just put out a new website um, that is one of the first websites I go to every morning with some really good information. Now, you guys want wow. to tell us about that, Robert? Yeah. Um, so we produced last month Sludge Daily. We launched Sludge Daily. It is a website on which we post developments of interest to the government management community. There you can find government's open or closed status, whether the House and Senate are in session, and how many days till the next potential government shutdown. It's a little menacing. But we also post the latest news, GAO reports, what's happening around the budget, um, and helpful links to various resources. Um, that likewise are relevant to the government management space. We thought there was a gap in simple access to timely information in this regard. So hopefully people find it useful. The reactions have been great, but you know, we hope more and more people take a, take a look. Yeah, you guys do a good job of kind of assimilating some really complex things and just making it very, very simple. Very, and yeah. put, it, put it even in terms someone like me can understand. Yeah, just, Adam's pretty good challenge. about it. Preventing me from posting profanity, but uh, so let me know. <laughs> well, if Brian, you see that's, one slip that's the goal too. Is there's tons of uh, news sources, right? We're not trying to compete with GovExec or FedScoop. No, or you, you guys list list them as references. 
No, correct. For people to go you, get. you want to try to clear out the clutter and focus on really what are the key things that you really should take a look at. And uh, from our perspective, so you people go to it, we've gotten great feedback. You might go to it and be like, this doesn't have the stuff that I need. So drop us a line, let us know. Uh, we'd love to hear that type of feedback. But also th this is our spin on here's the key headlines and stories that you need to be following each day. So before we get to the final five, um, like I mentioned, what predictions do you guys have for what might shock us next? I mean, we just had a speaker ousted, like you mentioned, massive Air Force contract canceled. What could be next? Um, Robert, let's start with you. Yeah, so there's going to be a major crisis, a natural disaster, a national security crisis emerge um, uh, that hopefully will provide an opportunity for the country to marshal around. Um, I don't know what it is, but you, you, you it, it always happens. Um, it's inevitable. And so, uh, you know, fasten your seatbelts for that. I think that'll be an, another, another, uh, shake to the system that hopefully, you know, brings people together rather than moves them apart. Uh, I, I, one of the things I've been I guess reflecting on a lot is just how old Congress is, especially the Senate. And, you know, Dianne Feinstein, uh, we lost her a week plus ago. There's going to be other, um, other <laughs> vacancies that open up in the Senate potentially <laughs> before the election. And cause I just think you're, you're at a point where there are so many folks who have been there for so long and are not in great health. Um, so I, I don't know if that's going to be shocking. I mean, saying that people, once they get really old, eventually die is not really, um, a master class in uh, <laughs> news at 11. In, in, <laughs> yes, I think right. I, I think I told you guys this story. I mean, I I've lived in this area pretty much my entire life and have loved government for as long as I can remember. And in my senior year of high school, I remember every AP government class takes, uh, a trip down to Capitol Hill and you take a tour and you, you get to meet people. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And we're lined up against the wall and an elevator opens up and I see two pretty young, strong guys with their arms out holding Strom Thurmond as he's sort of like half walking, half being dragged down the hall. And that that was a like a really weird moment for me because I'm sitting here thinking I know who that is, but how is he still how is he still a congressman, right? Yeah. And like I, I think that's I mean I'm not saying I mean that's obviously the extreme, but I think we all thought the silver tsunami was really going to happen in the government workforce, and maybe it's maybe it's just Congress that that we've been waiting for for that yeah. type of situation. Did you know those were probably. Two sons from different marriages. <laughs> well, that, I, I feel like, Brian, that, that's you had, a whole other podcast, Robert. You, you had your weekend at Bernie's moment in the yeah, Capitol. Right. That's fantastic. Exactly. All right. Hey, let's jump into the final five. Um, I want to start with you, Robert, for each of these, and then we'll go over to Adam. Oh, uh, gosh. Yep. I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep hammering. All right. Uh, question number one, what's the best advice you've ever gotten? Focus on outcomes. Best advice I've ever gotten, uh, this too shall pass. What's the worst advice you've ever gotten? Don't ever do anything that'll put you on front front page of the Washington Post. <laughs> <laughs> we might want the publicity now, right? <laughs> uh, worst advice? Uh, There's I, so many. 
I mean, there, there are, um, I just don't, I, I think I just forget bad advice. I, I try to like maybe be instinctual about it. Be like, if someone says something that doesn't sound right, I'm just like, I'm moving on. We'll take that as an answer. Yeah. It's not, it's not really a good one. Hey, Robert. So who is someone in history you would like to have a conversation with? So this probably, you know, I'm, I'm going to say Jesus, but, um, <laughs> I, I think at this point in our democracy, someone who has, who, who has saved them before. So I'm, I'm like thinking Churchill or Lincoln, so someone, someone who could say, put, put, your, put his arm around you and say, this is, you know, stand up for what you believe in. I, I, I mean, there's so many, uh, but I think top of my list right now would be Martin Luther King Jr. That's a good one. Both good ones. Um, what's something, Robert, that's inspiring you right now? I mean, you, you, I mean, you actually talked about it before, how everybody was galvanizing or coming together around the government industry. But, um, and you, you can use that one if you want. Well, um, I was going to say my daughters, you know, even who, better, who, who are keeping, who are, who are ke- keeping me attuned to developments in the modern world that my age might otherwise keep me away from you mean like like taylor swift and travis kelsey that type of thing no (laughs) (laughs) i have better taste than that um no just you you know the art our cultural evolution yeah and need to be tolerant and empathetic of others is something that's worth being reminded of and they do that to me every day i love that adam i i think my answer is my wife she's a public school teacher and shit, um, I'm going to be in trouble. Yeah. (laughs) Eve (laughs) is going to find out. Uh, and she does incredible work and she's so good at it. And it's so much harder than anything I've ever done. So any, pretty much any week, that's probably my answer. I think those are both good ones. And, and last one, and I always throw this in there because I try to bring on people that are smarter than me and I try to understand how they get smarter. So, Robert, where do you go to self-educate to get smarter? Well, that's, you know, funny you say that because I was going to say you. Uh, I mean, and, and you're just an example. I'm So I'm a voracious reader of the newspapers. And there's uh, across these properties very good recommendations on books to read, shows to watch. Um, and social media is not a terrible place if you – people – you respect like you, Brian, are posting recommended readings or shows, then I'll take those seriously and, and bookmark them and come back to them later. So, um, I know that's a mushy answer, but, but there really is just a, a flood. And so being able to see, see whose advice you respect, sifting that through the sea of recommendations you get, that's sort of how I do it. No crowdsourcing smart. I, I get it. Uh, Adam. So I, when I first read, when you sent the questions, Brian, I thought the last one was going to be, where do you self-medicate, <laughs> which is a different answer <laughs> than this question. Um, so there's a couple places. Don't I, answer that. Um, no, no, that's, we <laughs> reach, reach out if you really need to find out. Uh, I uh, subscribe to a couple uh, email newsletters that sort of along the lines of what Robert said, but that I really like. One is um, there's a, a website uh, a browser plugin called Pocket, which is useful for bookmarking articles. Um, but they also have a great, I think it's weekly that comes out. That's their top five articles of the week that are on this ecosystem of people who use this plugin. 
Um, so that's one of the ways that I can kind of have things that rise to the top that are really worth time reading, understanding, and learning about. Um, there, there's another group called Long Reads that has a similar um, uh, weekly newsletter that has, I like to read long articles because um, I think it allows you to get in depth on a topic, but it's not the commitment of reading a book. I, I'm a very slow reader, so I have to kind of parse out how I'm intaking all this sort of things. Um, that's another one. I love those two newsletters and I, I learned so many things that I wouldn't have otherwise just by glancing through the articles each week, even if it's not, I don't have time to get into each one of them. Um, well, and then the and last thing I am a sort of productivity nerd. Um, my favorite author is Cal Newport. He's a, actually he's a computer science professor at Georgetown university, but he's written three or four books about, uh, uh, how do you be, how do you become more productive yourself and within teams and organizations? And, um, he sends out stuff periodically. That's really good. I highly recommend if you're, if you're going to read one book on this topic, read deep work by Cal Newport. Uh, it's, it's the essence is you have to create big spaces of time to think in order to be productive and effective in what you're doing. And it doesn't matter what you do. It's always necessary. So we get, we get a book and some advice. I love it. Um, last question I have for you before we wrap up, uh, I know Robert, you've had a podcast for a while. Um, you were, you were the host of, of fed heads for a period of time. And now you and Adam both have the gov navigators podcast. Um, what have you guys learned about having a podcast so far? This is, this is my selfish question. Cause I want to, <laughs> I want to figure out how I can up my game. Yeah. So Adam was the producer of fed heads and we architected that beautifully. So we had. We taped four episodes in a two-hour span once a week, um, and the podcast was like 17 to 20 minutes of a single guest, singular couple of guests in the federal management space. Um, so we could bang out a whole month's work in a very short period of time. We really screwed that up with GovNavigators. Now <laughs> we've, got three, we've got three segments, so we got in addition to our guest tapings, which, which we do on an ad hoc basis, um, uh, we, we've got a news segment and a what's, what's ahead segment. Hopefully it's richer content, but it's a lot more complicated. So I just say, keep it simple, keep it brief, keep it light, keep it simple, um, and have fun. I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're, I don't think any of us is trying to go, go viral. So, uh, and our, and our, target audience is fairly niche. So make sure you're having a good time. Yeah. yeah that, I mean, I, what I've learned is that they're fun. Yeah. We, I think we have a great time. We had a great time doing fed heads. We have a great time with the gov navigators podcast. Uh, and I think that if it wasn't fun, I wouldn't want to do it. I think if you're, if you're like, well, I have to have a podcast and you're not enjoying creating that content and having conversations with people on the topic of it, like don't, don't do it. That it, you know, it's not, there's many other ways and things that you can utilize to get content and messaging out. Uh, podcast is only one of them. So it should definitely be fun. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a blast doing this one and to, I mean, my answer to that last question, cause I, I did an interview on a podcast one time and they asked me where I go to self-educate and, and I said, conversation people. <laughs> and th that's what I love about having this podcast is I get to learn from people like you guys and, and all my guests I get to be the one that asks the questions that, and, and be the curious one and, and get be first in line to get 
uh, get this great information. So that's, that's one of the reasons why I love doing it. And I've, what I've found is if you're curious, that kind of goes a long way because you, you're constantly looking to seek and find information and, and learn from people. And if you do that, it, it just kind of organically develops. Um, but I think having fun is certainly a, a pleasant outcome of that as well. Yeah. That's marvelous. That, that curiosity value, uh, is essential. Well, guys, I really appreciate it. I, I've had a great time as always. Robert, you kept uh, me and Adam from going down a rabbit hole talking about our love for minivans, which happened the last <laughs> time we were together. So um, thank you for keeping us on track there. Um, if I had remembered that, I might, uh, I might have canceled on you. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're amazing automobiles. They are. There you go. It's, it, I mean, we couldn't stop laughing when we both talked about how you can push seats horizontally yeah. like in the center. It's amazing. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. I'm gonna. We ought to retape that and just put in Edsel every time we'll say mini It's a great car. <laughs> All right, we we kept it on the tracks for long enough. We're gonna we're, we're gonna we're gonna close out now, gentlemen. Thank you guys. Thank you guys, and thank you. Thanks everybody for listening. This has been the Government Huddle Podcast. You can check out more episodes of the show by heading over to governmenthuddle.com wherever you access your podcast, and feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Chittastray B. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye for now. <laughs>